0: Welcome back to the podcast, Conversations with Jeff Bucknum. Jeff Bucknum is the lead teaching pastor. It's lead pastor of teaching and vision. It's new. Yeah. yeah. It's new. But you know what? You're young, still learning. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be big one day. Welcome, Wesley. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm Wesley, filling in for Tommy, who's sick apparently. Feeling ill. He's sick a lot. Yeah, I'm beginning to wonder.
1: Yeah, I think he might have a parasite. He <laughs> Yeah.
0: I don't know where from
1: yeah. but I'm not surprised. I don't know. It's funny he he ran the the uh, marathon and I think he probably picked it up in the marathon cuz I don't think he's run a single step since the marathon.
0: Yeah, I don't run and I don't have a parasite. So that seems to match I don't up. run
1: either and I don't have a parasite.
0: So, so there it is. I think that's it. Um well the, welcome here. It's great to see you. It's good to see you. I haven't hosted a podcast of this caliber. <laughs> <laughs> We did. I've done some fake podcasts. Oh, do you do those in your house with your uh, family? Um, no, I should, though, with my son, 10 months. He's almost 11 months. Apparently, his
1: head is too big for the earmuffs you bought him.
0: Yeah, we don't want him to have hearing damage. And we like to worship loudly here, which is good, but not for babies.
1: So you get him a little hearing earmuff. I things. got him the
0: hearing earmuffs. They said they're good for up to two years, and they are... Almost too small for my almost not year not yet one-year-old. Yeah, that's a big heed. Yeah, it's full of... It's it's a gargantuan cranium. It's full of strange wraps from it's his It's like father. an orange
1: on a toothpick.
0: Basically. It's got its own weather system. Yeah.
1: Do you know, these are all lines from a movie that most of you probably have not seen. No. Some of you out there are listening got the first time, but I'm getting a lot of uh, cold shoulders in the old room here. Yeah. So I married an axe murderer. And uh, it was uh, it was one of the great scenes in comedic history.
0: Well. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should add that to the list. That's what I wanted to talk about. You should see one today. of the one of the clips. Yeah, let's talk about well, the Oscars are coming up, which there are a lot of good new movies that have come out. Okay. Name one. Uh I enjoyed Avatar 2. Oh, A lot of people... Did you see
1: Avatar 1? Didn't.
0: Yeah, also enjoyed that. Okay. I think if you've been to Disney World and seen the Avatar World, that oh. also helps. Okay. Because you feel like you've been there, experienced it. it. Um, I haven't seen a lot of the other ones. I've seen Pinocchio and Top Gun Maverick. You know, there's three Pinocchios came out at the same time. Really? One with Polly Shore as Pinocchio. That's the one up for the Academy Award, right? No, no, no. That, <laughs> <laughs> that one is pretty laughable from just the trailer okay uh then there's a the disney one with tom hanks there's a disney one they did a live action where tom hanks is geppetto really oh like right at the same time okay and then guillermo del toro stop yeah. motion that yeah. masterpiece this is pretty good haven't seen it yet but i will now wow. it's on record
1: yeah you should enjoy it
0: yeah um what are some of the best movies you've seen in my life in life and
1: recently well, the best movie I've seen in in life, it's a Shawshank Redemption.
0: It's facing the Giants.
1: Okay. Um yeah. and uh yeah, We Are Marshall. Now we Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. And then I would probably place in that cat okay, so the first time I saw The Matrix, it blew yeah. my mind. Yep. And I don't know if I've ever had an experience like that when I went to the movie theater where I didn't know what was going on, and then all of a sudden, I kind of started to realize it was yeah it was a very uh, delightful, delightful experience, kind of a yeah. sixth sense experience. But that's a that's a dated movie reference. Yep. Uh, for you, I think Saving Private Ryan was a great film, and I enjoyed that one. Two a of lot. yours are war movies, and No Country for Old Men. I liked a lot, even I, though lots of people hated it.
0: I really enjoyed that yeah. movie, not because, from yeah. a movie perspective, <laughs> funniest movie ever, <laughs> Dumb and Dumber. Really, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty
1: good. But that's my look. That's kind of my generation, like no, right. mid mid nineties. I graduated from college in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. So yeah. I like. I found I like a lot of the older.
0: I like Tommy Boy and.
1: Real Okay. The Blues Brothers. Okay, that's an eighties film, and uh, Tommy Boy's nineties. Yep. That's
0: great. Yeah. Are to you? Think. You're kind of a filmmaker, though, aren't you? Do you like? You want to make movies? Um. I mean, if if someone said, "Hey, we'd like you to direct a movie," I'd be like, "Okay," (laughs) but I. Has that happened? Have people come up to you and um, said that to you? Yeah, I usually turn them down. Say, "Sorry, I'm doing the Lord's work." Wesley, how old are you? I am twenty-four. Wow. Yeah, so I could be your father. Um. Yeah. Wesley, I I am. You are the same age as my mother. Oh dear. Yeah, her name is Jeff. Also. (laughs) Okay. It's not okay. Um. Okay, so, do you like? You said two of your movies that you liked the most were war movies. Yeah. Is that... I don't know if
1: that's why... uh, Is it because it's war? Maybe maybe life... Maybe war is a good metaphor for life. And maybe I am the guy who who longs for uh, justice and final redemption. To win the great victory in the end. That could be... I like some of the Lord of the Rings movies, but they're too long. They're far, far too long.
0: Well, yeah. The... In my mind, the theatrical versions don't exist. So yeah, you're right. they are long. You were kind of a nerdy kid
1: though, reading the books and stuff. You probably read all the Hobbit, all of that, all of the all of the uh, Harry Potter movie
0: show um, books. I didn't get into reading until like within the last five years. Wow. So now I'm going back and reading all of those things. Okay. I'm reading the Hobbit right now. Oh. Yes. Well. So yeah, nerd, just late,
1: late, late, late blooming nerd. Well, I'm excited, actually, about the person we're going to talk to today. Yes. Who is it? Uh, His name is Tim Dalrymple, and he is the managing editor at Christianity Today.
0: I think that's a different Tim. No, it's...
1: I thought, isn't that what we got? Sherry, is that who we got? We got Tim Dalrymple, managing... Oh, apparently we have a different Tim Dalrymple. Same Tim.
0: Well... That's okay That's that's a problem
1: Because I prepared A lot of questions About Christianity today
0: So we'll find out Who the guy is Yeah And we'll Let me try this Like Tommy We'll get into it Right Now Let's go I think that's what he does
1: So here I sit with uh, Tim Dalrymple. It is Timothy, though. It is Timothy. Right. Yes. And how long have you known that Timothy Dalrymple is the name of the Christianity Today editor?
2: Uh, when the Mars Hill podcast came out. I got really? probably a dozen texts from people congratulating me on it. And that was when I realized that there was a guy named Timothy Dalrymple who was S C T. So it wasn't too long ago.
1: But you didn't play yourself off as being him. You should have absolutely done that. I'm, I, I you should have said, should have wait, <laughs> wait till the next one we do. It's about harvest.
2: I actually reached out to him on Instagram after that. Did you? And, say, yeah. hey. and we chatted back and forth about the fact that we really? live in the same time. Because it was right about the time that we moved here from Oregon. So yeah. it was all kind of happening at once. But Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Well, unless yeah. you've got an in. Yes. It's always nice when your name's the same. <laughs> I've always thought that John Smith at our church... Probably has an end with a lot of people. A lot of people. John Smith. Right? Are there any
2: historical figures named John Smith?
1: Uh, John Smith is the name of the guy in Man in the High Castle. He's the bad guy.
2: Is that a movie?
1: Yeah. Well, TV Ah. show anyway. Gotcha. But I'm sure that there's a John Smith somewhere around there who killed somebody. Or saved somebody.
2: Or an athlete somewhere. Or somebody did that, yeah. Yeah.
1: John Smith. Um. He's probably also wanted by the FBI. I'm sure there's a John Smith. <laughs> it's
2: kind of a pros and cons yeah, situation. Totally. Yeah.
1: yeah. So Tim, you are uh, only at Harvest since when?
2: Uh, we came here November of 2020. Okay. So Right at the kind of, I guess it was still in the middle of the pandemic. But yeah. Yeah.
1: November 2020. Yeah. It would have been right at the height of it. Yeah. So you moved across. We're going to get to this. Okay. You moved across the United States to come here from Portland, Oregon or uh, Bend, Oregon. Bend, Bend, Oregon. Right yeah. Outside
2: Portland,
1: yeah. yeah. So we'll get, I want to get into that in a second. Okay. Um, you, you are from where though? Like, what is your home?
2: Uh, Central Valley of California, um, little okay. town called Modesto, California. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, um, it was actually there was like an animated movie. About, I'm saying really because I've been to Modesto, yeah, yeah.
1: I didn't want to stay very long.
2: Monsters versus Aliens. Was it in Modesto? It was in Modesto. Oh, you're right. And George Lucas is from Modesto, and um, and Tim Dalrymple, not from CT though. Uh, the uh, no, what's the what's the um, movie that George Lucas made before Star Wars that was all about the graffiti, American Graffiti? Oh,
1: probably yeah. yeah. And that was in Modesto. That was in Modesto. Yeah, Modesto. When I was there, was known for its gang. Life. Still is okay. His Stockton is the worst town in America. Yes,
2: it was. I guess the Stockton was like the bankruptcy capital okay. of the world. It like smells in there,
1: like like literally smells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you and know when you are in Stockton,
2: there is big time gang stuff. Yeah.
1: So when I was driving down the freeway and we were in Stockton uh, with my with my boys because we lived in you know north of Seattle, yes. and we were driving down to to um, San Diego for a for a holiday a vacation and uh we got into the middle or just on the outskirts actually of Stockton and started driving in there and my boys about a minute into it both said oh what is that <laughs> and i said boys that's stockton california
2: yep and my ever boys, since then, my boys did the same thing and ever since then said, they yeah.
1: they they say stuff like uh, whenever some well uh, whenever it smells really bad they say dad stockton <laughs> so it's good times
2: yeah First, there's there's uh there's a lot of dairies out there. That'd be the reason. And that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is.
1: Which, but I gotta tell, where I lived in Canada, had a chicken barn right near the freeway, the freeway that came into the town, mm-hmm. and so it always stunk like really bad yep. on the freeway. It was almost yep. like a welcome to Abbotsford smell. Yep. When you're coming from Vancouver, you drove through this thing and you were like, whoa. Yep. That is terrible. So I'm quite <laughs> sure people think the same thing of Abbotsford, British Columbia, which yep. is not Stockton.
2: Anyway, you up. Your family. Uh, how big is your family? Uh, I, well, I have two sisters. Okay. Um, younger, older. Uh, younger. Both younger. Oh, big so brother. I'm the oldest. Yep. By how how far? Uh, we're all three years apart. Okay.
1: So, yeah. Were you a protective big brother or a um, hard big brother?
2: I was, you know, because it was like one boy and two girls, I was probably a little bit more off in my own world. Okay. And then they were always like hanging out, doing stuff.
1: Were they? I, I was protective. They like, were uh, three years apart? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah. So my uh, my middle sister, Karen, lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And then my other sister, Michelle, is in Berkeley, California. Okay. Yeah.
1: Kind of West coasty. Yeah. You're a West Coast guy, though. West Coast, yeah. This yeah. is
2: really my first true, I mean, outside of... You know, going to college, living here in Chicago is my first true, like, I'm not in the West Coast. Okay. Yeah. So.
1: So, uh, you you have always loved music? So, because what you do, what do you do here mm-hmm. at Harvest?
2: Uh, so, I'm the worship pastor. Um, so, I, uh, we have a staff here of uh, worship leaders, and so I'm one of those guys, and get to lead the team, and, um, and I get to lead worship and write songs and play instruments and yeah. do all kinds of cool stuff. Think I've been about, told Think about theology.
1: <laughs> I've been told by several people that you are <clears throat> one of the best guitarists they've ever heard.
2: They're exaggerating. I don't Guaranteed. know
1: about that. Cause you're like, <laughs> I know you a little bit and I know that you are, you tend to downplay your your abilities and I, I think you I might figured, figure it.
2: I mean, I figured out how to do certain stuff. I feel like my guitar playing peaked somewhere around age 25. And then, then from there out for the last 15 years, I've just been kind of like, you know, right. In filling, my sermon last space. in
1: my sermon last weekend, I mentioned Eddie Van Halen. There you go. Who you know? Yes. Right. Could yeah. you do some Eddie Van Halen riffs?
2: I could fake it. But oh, I couldn't yeah. actually do it.
1: Maybe you, you <laughs> kind of could though. So
2: actually, how did you learn to play? I mean, when did you start playing the guitar? Yeah, um, I was eight. I was eight years old.
1: How did How did you pick it up? Was it your so family, dad, like it or something?
2: Yeah, my actually, my family didn't have a lot of musicians. My like. I came to find out later, like my like generationally, like my grandfather, my great grandfather, you know, kind of had some music in the family. Um, but I, I was so I was a missionary kid. So we grew up in the Philippines. So, Ooh. um, so I spent, were you born there? No, I moved there when I was three. Okay, and spent. You know, what kind of what
1: kind of um, missions did they do? Uh, they with church, church
2: church planting. Okay, my dad was a church planner. So, um, and then he moved into. Kind of like helping networks, basically in the in the latter part of his ministry there, but my early childhood was on the Philippines, so like almost ten years with you know coming back for furloughs every.
1: Do you speak Tagalog?
2: Tagalog, um, I did. I at one point I spoke um, Ilongo, which was like we lived in Iloilo, which is the province. Yeah. So I spoke Ilongo on the playground. I I was in a Filipino school learning Tagalog as the national language. Spoke English at home. I was a very confused kid. Yeah you know, when it came to figuring out how, what I should say. Right. Um, but then since then, like, you know, I took like languages like in high school and in college and probably helped just you. now it's, I love language yeah. Um, as an adult, but I didn't really retain any of the Philippine languages, probably mostly because I never really learned the mechanics of the grammar. I just right. kind of
1: picked, picked it up. Yeah. So eight years old, you started because your, your parents,
2: uh, my dad had this old like Yamaha classical guitar, he actually sent it to me a couple years ago, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, it was like from the seventies and um, he had it with him and he was like leading Bible studies. Yeah. Like, um, and uh, he's like, Hey, why don't you come along and play some songs? And so I've learned a few chords,
1: mm-hmm. which is and, all you
2: really need. Which for is most all you really Christian need. Music. I mean, like <laughs> Matt Redman, Chris Tomlin, they, you know, three chords in the truth. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was when I started. And then I just figured, out that I really, God had given me this love for music, and so I remember when I was like, like I started playing guitar when I was eight, and then drums when I was like ten, and then picked up a keyboard and a bass guitar. And it's just all really natural to you. Yeah, I just I would literally stay up all night just playing music in my house, and like back then it was like, um oh gosh, I learned on like we didn't have a lot. I was a Christian home kid too, so you know Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curry Kirsh- Chapman and there are these Maranatha praise and worship yeah. books. They had all the like the spiral bound editions and it yeah. was like Ron Cannoli and Don Moen and Paul Balash and all these people. That's, that's what I like. I just I actually learned how to play music because back then Christian music, worship music had a lot more chords in it than it does now. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, actually my, my parents even, I don't even think they really even like my dad likes to tell the story of like one day he would like turned around and he was like, Who's drumming at church really good. And then, he was like, I don't even know Tim played the drums, and he's playing drums, and so anyway, it was, it was just one of those things that just he just kind picked of, up, yeah, music, yeah.
1: Was it your most uh, passionate interest, music, when you were like growing up? Oh uh, well, if you were alone y- yes. to do nothing,
2: yes, I also it was the same era as the Michael Jordan Bulls, mm. so it was I was either playing music or pretending like I was hitting a game-winning fadeaway from the free throw line. All right, yeah, it was one of those two.
1: Big Bulls fan then.
2: Well. No, I mean, Big Michael when Jordan you're a fan. kid, yeah, when you're that age and the bulls are the bulls, you like, how do you not just want to be Michael Jordan?
1: I have a friend who's in Canada and he <laughs> has a bulls tattoo on his, on his like upper arm. And I said to him, Are you from Chicago? And he was, he said, No. I said, "What? Well, why do you have bulls on your thing? He said, Because everybody's 17 once.
2: That's right. <laughs> apparently, when That's he was right.
1: 17, he was like, Dad, I have to get a tattoo of the bulls. And his dad was like, <laughs> they're not going to always be good, but they will. <laughs> so now he's got this tattoo of the bulls on the That's shoulder funny. and he shows it off. He actually has, I think Jordan's number 23 and 33 on both sides of it. Yeah. Cause yeah. Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan were his guys. That's
2: my boys and Steph Curry. No, all right. I want to be Steph Curry. So,
1: all right. Yeah. What did you want to do when you grew up?
2: Um, play music. Really? Yeah. I, I, uh, I really was like, if you would have asked me that, I would have said I want to be a professional musician, producer. Um, somewhere around high school, though, I started. So when we came back to the States right before I started my freshman year in high school, and that was when we moved to Modesto. Okay. And started at this church, and I just walked into this youth group, and I believe it was providential on the Lord's part that um, it was there – it was a church called big Valley grace Mm -hmm. and there were like leaders and a culture at this youth group that really poured into worship. Yeah. And so as a like 14, 15 year old kid, I just started showing up. They did these like jam nights on Thursday to kind of like help recruit people for the worship team. And, um, but eventually I just started kind of leading worship to my peer group in high school. Mm. And I think it was probably around 15 or 16 that, the lord kind of grew my heart towards like oh if i wasn't just it's not just music that i have a love for but there's also this component of leading god's people in the worship of him that that the lord kind of grew my heart towards you know right so yeah so i ended up actually going off to liberty university why to be a worship leader
1: but Um, why liberty cuz you're from the west yeah. if you're from the west coast like Biola, is
2: south yes yes which i looked at all those west coast schools the reason why i ended up being liberty was um one of the guys who mentored me uh, his name was Ted Williams he was really he had gone through liberty Ted then, Williams not the baseball player oh okay yeah uh he uh, he <laughs> he had gone he had gone to liberty and been on the ministry teams there and stuff like that and mm. so there was just that connection. And so I went out. And music visited. is what you wanted to do. And music I mean, was what I wanted to do. And, yeah. and there was, I mean, truthfully, there was like a, there was just an opportunity to get some of school paid for because I was leading worship. And so that was, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: How much of the school did you get paid for? Did you get a big uh, scholarship? Full,
2: yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy.
1: Did they come to like watch you play? What do you mean? I don't know. No, no, in my no. no mind, I'm like a, in my mind, I'm picturing scouts at a baseball game <laughs> with their radar guns. Well, I didn't it was case, more like American Idol where you had to try your, out. Good, in your case, <laughs> it was like that X Factor.
2: No, it wasn't that at all. Actually, it was. Um, I so I served on a ministry team. So like through college, like two to three, sometimes four weekends a month, we would go out and lead worship at youth events and churches. Oh, okay. And stuff like that, and then so I mean it was hard work. It was wonderful experience. Um, but yeah, you know, when you have like, I actually had this weird recurring nightmare that I was continually missing my AM class mm. on Monday morning because we'd get in from the road at like two, three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. Did yeah, you like it? Awesome. Did you like the, that lifestyle? Um,
0: kind
2: I've always, I've always liked to travel. I've always liked to travel. I've always liked to meet new people. I think part of my Philippines upbringing kind of gave me a broader view of the world. And so I'd never like been like a I just want to stay in one place for the rest of my life kind of person. Mm. Um so the travel aspect was 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 nice. Um what's the hardest part about being a rock star? Being humble.
1: Yeah, well it's pretty- actually
2: like a no, I mean I'm actually that's a serious answer. I mean like and I'm not a rock star, but but whenever you're given any kind of a platform, you know, um I don't think it's good for people actually.
1: Well, it's hard, right? Because, you know, especially when you're doing something that's, uh, that touches the affections, right. touches the heart. People sometimes will, uh, kind of merge together. Yes. That touching of the heart with the person who actually led them into that touching of the heart. When you're like, no, it was actually the Holy spirit that touching your heart at that point. He just used this. This was the medium he used at this particular time. Absolutely. And you want to be thankful all of us want to be thankful for the people that the lord uses in our lives. I think that's the right thing. Yeah. But because we want to be thankful for that and be, and then also because of the emotional those those moments and those things actually change us. Yeah. It we tend to you know, idolize the people who ended up Absolutely. doing that for us.
2: I mean, transparently, I spent a lot of my younger years. I would never have said this. But like kind of with this like sense of like I'm pretty awesome. Mm. And it wasn't until the Lord kind of took me through some failures in my own life that I was able to um, understand. I was like understanding your own brokenness before the Lord kind of puts you in the place where you go like, right. You know, changes, it changes your outlook on life. Yeah.
1: And, so let's talk about some of your brokenness. You, you, oh, you grew up great. in it. It sounds like your family <laughs> is pretty healthy yes. when you're growing up. Um, parents who loved you. Yeah. family did well. You got involved in music and kind of set off to, uh, would you have said that when you were young, there was a lot of difficulty or suffering or just sort of the um, regular kind?
2: I mean, for the most part, it was a regular, you know, yeah, pretty pretty regular family I mean, as much as a missionary family can be a regular family. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, uh, we had, I, I, I think one of the big markers, like, you know, when I think about my family's story, um, when I was, uh, it, let's see, I was 20, my youngest sister was 17, I was 23, mm. and she was involved in an accident, mm. uh, long and short of it is she um, was attending like a like a beauty college, mm. and um, there was an off-duty security officer that was getting ready to go to shift, he had his gun in his backpack, and he put the gun down behind her and the gun malfunctioned and actually hit my sister like the like the bullet lodged in her spine and she became a paraplegic oh my word um so that was like my she was 17 she was 17 she was like soccer player you know just the whole thing and um she went from that to having her life permanently changed so she's still in a wheelchair today um that was like my first genuine encounter with suffering yeah for sure yeah and that was like I mean, I was in my early twenties, but then my, but you know, my whole family had to wrap their heads around that. Right. You know,
1: and it's such a, you know, from, from our perspective, such a chance.
2: Yeah. Thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was like, uh, I think that was the first time I really had to personally wrestle with how does God allow something like that? Right. You know, not that I thought that God pulled the trigger or anything, but like,
1: no, but there's so many ways that it could have been stopped. Yeah. Or,
2: or I think, I think what I actually probably did is I just began to run on an assumption that God must be a little bit distant. Yeah. Because like, I didn't know almost like emotionally how to perceive him as being close. And then something like that happening
1: Mm. in my life. That's actually really well said. Yeah. I think that most people who go through that, I mean, I, if I were honest, I think I would probably say that I'm probably still dealing with some of that in my own life. My mom died you know, and you go through series of difficult, you know, letdowns or whatever Mm -hmm. and you start flinching. Yeah. Do you know, when, whenever something you just, whenever somebody calls on the phone or you're, you know, one of my kids says, dad, I got to tell you something. Like I find my shoulders go up and be like, okay, just get ready to get hit in the gut. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know? Yeah. And it's hard to view. Yeah. It's hard to trust the Lord a lot of times if that's your response. Sure. ultimately because you're like okay here comes the, here comes the kick
2: for sure yeah. or I was okay with like you know God and his sovereignty had a plan but to think of God as a intimate caring father was a little bit more difficult right you know right yeah so how'd you get over that <laughs> um my marriage at the time fell apart mm. so how my, do you my mean life, my life fell apart How'd you meet your wife? Um, we met in college. Okay. Yeah. And got married. She music as well? Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of the Christian college thing. Got married out of school. And, yeah. And um, we were married for five years. But right in the middle of that uh, is when all this happened with my sister. Yeah. And it kind of caused my wife at the time. I mean, all this stuff was coming up in me. She was like, decided to kind of take a left turn mm. and kind of follow her own path and, Let her away from the Lord, from the church, from all that, and ultimately from our relationship. And um, so, those were the. How long did that take? Like it was quick, actually. Really? So it it
1: wasn't like uh, year two and then year five; it was over. Yeah,
2: I mean, like now that I'm older, I can see we had we probably had a lot of stuff that we needed to work through. Yeah, from the start, but um, I mean, from the time it was shocking. Like Mm -hmm. from the time that we were, you know, just being married young married couple together to the time when I was sitting alone in my house was like, I don't know, nine months or something. Wow. I mean, it was just, it was quick. And, um, how'd you make sense of that? (laughs) Uh, the Lord helped me make sense of that. Um, I, I, that was actually weirdly enough, you know, was, I mean, that, that was the time when it was almost like God moved in Yeah, and he was like, sat with me in my loneliness and rejection and, whatever, all my stuff that I knew that I had to deal with in myself. Right. And that was when it moved, like, you know how I described, like, he felt distant. Well, a couple years later when all that happened, all of a sudden it was like God came really close to my life. And I had some really, really wonderful mentors um, early on who had taught me the, the importance of being able to, like, sit and be with Jesus, not do, just do stuff for Jesus all the time. And so I had some framework to be able to, for like a life of prayer that some people had helped me with. Mm. And I mean, I just, I would actually smoke a pipe on my front porch and pray for hours. Mm.
1: And, um. The Lord didn't hear it though, because you were smoking. Pipe. Yeah, that's
2: probably true. So I, <laughs>
1: I'm kidding. I gave that
2: up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, truly that was, that's, that was really like, that was a huge turning point in my life. I would say, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, would I, I remember there was a guy, there was a pastor who met with me this is what broke me actually. This is what broke me as I met with him and his wife and it was Matthew seven eleven, um, where he says, Tim, don't you know, Matthew 7, 11? I was like, I, maybe, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who, uh, see, who ask him? And I just realized I did not see God as someone who was wanting to if I was seeing God as, as someone who was t- stint, taking, stin- taking stingy, takes, yeah, and then you've
1: got to plead to get. Yeah.
2: yeah, and and that whole experience, God just really spoke to me, like uh, opened my eyes to who He is um, through that. So, like He does with suffering, I guess. Oh, right? without a doubt. You Although
1: know, you know, suffering is a. <clears throat> Su- suffering is a winnowing thing, right? And I think on purpose, right? Yeah. It it tends to pur- it purifies what is either gold or it burns off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's very true. The fake of it. Um, it's very true. You were married for five years. Mm-hmm. You and this did this affect the way you saw yourself in in churchmen in ministry? Oh, big time. Because I would imagine. Big time. I mean, not every church is going to. I mean, obviously your wife abandoned yeah. you, but like you, not every church is going to be like, yeah. And okay, like, I mean like, great. you know,
2: I was on staff at the time where all this was like starting to unravel Yeah. and I was pretty transparent with their leadership and they were great about trying to support the situation however they could. But yeah. at the end of it, I, I went into my pastor's office and I was just like, Hey, I think I just need to take a step back mm. for a while. I, I, I need some personal healing in my own life yeah. and, 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 um, so what'd you do? Uh, I stepped out and tried to be a producer <laughs> just kind of back to the original plan, I guess. Right. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just was freelancing doing projects for people, um, which uh, amazingly, and I believe providentially is how I ended up meeting Vanessa, mm. who I'm married to now. I was also how teaching, you- I was also teaching music lessons, which I found I was really terrible at, but you it was really? bread and butter, you know, it was a baseline. Right. <laughs>
1: So, a lot of bad chords played.
2: Uh, yeah, I was like, I don't know how many more times I can hear this <laughs> song messed up.
1: <laughs> Smoke on the water.
2: <laughs> oh, gosh.
1: Um, so how did you meet Vanessa?
2: Um, there was this radio songwriting contest in the Central Valley. She was a finalist for it because she lived in Fresno, which is a couple hours away. Yeah. She was a finalist for it. I was hired to be on the band. Like, you know how, I, like, um, well, it was like when American Idol was like, yeah. you know, the thing. And so, like, they would produce these demos of the top ten, and then they would play them on the radio, and then the voters would call in, and then they would have the winner. So I was on the band that produced the demos. She was one of the finalists. And um, we were like, oh, this girl's good. She should win. I think she ended up got like second or third or something like that. But um, that project. The guy who produced that then brought me into a solo project that she did to play drums on that project. After that project, she was going to go out and do some touring in Southern California. And she's like, hey, is there somebody who could come down and could, like, play a bunch of instruments and help support this thing? And so my friend Chad's like, actually, Tim, he's got a lot of free time on his hands right now, all that. So that was the beginning of our friendship, really. I mean, we kind of, like, because of the projects we've been all kind of like known each other a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but that was the beginning of our friendship. Is
1: at what point did that friendship stop being a friendship?
2: Uh, it wasn't until, like six months after that. Really? How'd that happen? Um, so we we like um, after that. I ended up I was going to play with this band in Atlanta. She went off to Nashville and moved. And it was one of those things like once you kind of start getting to know somebody, yeah. And then you like go your separate ways, and you're kind of like, actually, oh, that person was
1: really like them,
2: really cool. And um, so then we just started like talking on the phone hours a day, and and then we started, you know, kind of I would come up to Nashville for something, and then we would grab a burrito or something, and then and then we started meeting. And there's this little town called Chattanooga that was halfway yeah. between Nashville and Atlanta, and so we would just meet there and hang out. And that was that was really when we began dating. And um, from there, I mean, like as soon as I really— What's got, the most
1: romantic place in Chattanooga?
2: Oh, um, they have the longest p- pedestrian bridge.
1: So you walk the longest pedestrian <laughs> and bridge. And there's a this bit. ice
2: cream place at the end of the pedestrian bridge, right?
1: That so nice. all of you out there who are, there, have budding romances. Yes.
2: And there was this place called the Terminal that was a—it was like an old train station that converted into a restaurant, okay. and it had a rooftop. And yeah. it was. It was like some of my most blissful memories of my life were having dinner with my future wife at the terminal. And I found out that it just closed over COVID. I was uh, so bummed out. I know. Yeah. So.
1: So you, you guys started kind of seeing each other. And, you know, I Vanessa has her own background story and that was a bit painful as well with yeah. relationships. And so I imagine you guys were not doe-eyed when you went into no, this.
2: No, we found a lot of common language where we were like, I mean, we had both been involved in Celebrate Recovery you know, yeah. leading up to it. And so we were very much at a place where we're like, I'm, you know, I mean, neither of us were actually looking for a relationship, but it was just more like, wow, this is, you're a really amazing person. Here's all my stuff and here's what I'm about and kind yeah. of vice versa. Yeah. And that really actually created the conditions for a really honest friendship that grew quickly. Yeah.
1: So how long did you know before you, you guys got married?
2: Um, Well, I knew her first for, for um, I knew her for a few years, but we really didn't hang out. I mean, more than a year, maybe.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah. So we were we were engaged for three months, and we dated for six.
1: Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty relatively quick. Yeah,
2: but Probably. again, it was like I, I've, I'm not like a, I mean, I'm decisive, but I I I say this with all sincerity. There are a few things I've been more sure of in my life mm. than the fact that Vanessa god brought vanessa into my life right and so when it came time to like do you want to spend the rest i I was just like i knew that she was absolutely um the quality um and the type of person yeah Um, plus i just loved who she was and i just knew that it would be uh, what it is fantastic you know beautiful she's my best friend yeah so yeah
1: um you guys been married how long now
2: uh 11 years 11 years That's yeah. fantastic And yeah. three children Three children Jack is 10 Finn is uh, Eight And Esther just turned five
1: Yeah Yeah She's <laughs> Esther's five She is She's so little
2: Dude she's talking she's like just, so much more now I bit. love her She's yeah. a, she's a little chatterbox That's fantastic
1: <laughs> Just like your mom Talking a lot I
2: That's, I'm gonna Can we edit this part of the podcast? <laughs>
1: No, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I uh, your kids are, are great. They're around the they're around the stage lots of times, and I I it's one of my my favorite things is actually when your kids kind of bust out onto the stage and stuff. You know, that's because that's one. It's of happened think, multiple times. Well, that's what ends up happening, though, right? It It happened
2: like a couple of months ago. I was in Elgin leading the son son of su- a song, Son of Suffering, yeah. which is pretty, you know, yeah, intense, pretty intense song. And it's in the middle of the second service and Esther's pulling on my arm <laughs> <laughs> in the fridge because she wants a snack or something. Yeah. And she just honey, has I'm, no, I- she has no idea that honey, we're in the I'm middle of the <laughs> right now.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. You know what though? Those kinds of things are uh, humanizing and I think it's great. You know, just yeah. talking about what you said before. It, yeah. We're, we're all just people yeah. with kids who don't care how, right. how others might view us or not view us. We're, That's right. yeah, in the end it, and so, and sometimes it's great to have them them yep. do that kind of thing um so you got you guys ended up though in oregon somehow did you move there right after you got married
2: yeah uh, about a year after. why um well we had
1: you just had to be near portland <laughs> no <laughs> you're like i'm pretty weird it was you I'm know gonna go.
2: it was the time of skinny jeans and toms and yeah Phoenix. no um the uh we, so when we got married, it was funny because we kind of had this, you know, we had both t- taken a step out of like full-time ministry for a while mm. and done other things. And when we got married though, we, we were like, really, we would want to serve in the church. Um, we had both, you know, she'd been a full-time worship leader, um, and, uh, down in Fresno as well. And we actually had kind of had this funny moment where we're like, so who's going to go to work? <laughs> um, but, um, i had been um like the i grew up in my time in the states was kind of like the kind of like the attractional church program driven kind of suburban big church thing and i was kind of like just to be honest looking for something different Hmm. i was like if i'm gonna go and serve at a place i i I might want to try a little different model and so there's um There was this, uh, church that was a little church up in Bend, Oregon called Eastmont Church, um, that we'd had some connections with, and it was kind of one of those, I don't know why I should probably talk to like a psychologist about this. I have a knack for just like that place is in trouble. Maybe I'll go there. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a terrible decision. Maybe I'll move there. (laughs) (laughs) You you and me both. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, it was a church that was like transitioning and they were kind of like coming out of all the like worship war stuff. Yeah, They were like, um, you know, moving from hymns to, you know, they started a contemporary service on Saturday night. Now they're wanting yeah. to bring it to, you know, the whole church. And so the solution was to hire a young guy to kind of bring it in. But, yeah. but um, it didn't take too long to realize that wasn't the, the actual solution. And um, so that, my time at Eastmont was like, not very long. It was like 18 months. Um, and then I came, I actually came out to harvest after that for about a year. Um, Cause I had a lot of friends that from college and from other places that were a part of vertical uh, church band, vertical worship yeah. when it started. And so it was kind of like, Hey, come out. And, and so I was like contracted with them for a year. Um, but it wasn't like a long-term stick for us here.
1: Yeah. So you went back to Oregon and
2: going back to Eastmont who while we had been out here had kind of had a complete turnover. Their longtime pastor left all their staff left. My buddy Blaine that came on at the same time I did
1: just in one year in one year. Wow.
2: It was actually like two weeks after I had no idea. Two weeks after we announced that we were going to come out here, the lead pastor announced he was retiring and moving to Colorado. And so from there it was just like, everything just came apart pretty quickly. Oh. And, um, and uh, so Blaine calls me. He's like, hey, this is just the craziest idea in the world. But I'm kind of like last man standing out here. Would you want to come out and help relaunch the church? Yeah. And um, I was like, I to, might not be as crazy as you might think it is. And so that's what we ended up doing it's going out there. So. Do you yeah. like it? Did you like it? Um, I did. I've learned a lot. I wouldn't say that it was like the easiest assignment that I've had. No. You know, um, but it was like a, it was. School. It was. I don't know. I can think of a school of hard knocks. I don't know if that's yeah, the right. No, that's good. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but yeah, I learned a ton. You know, about even just kind of like what it means to lead in a church, what it means to lead a, right. in a transition, um, what not to do.
1: You started doing a master's degree in theology at some point, or some, some master's degree at some point through West, uh, sorry, uh, Western, Western Baptist. Yeah. yeah,
2: which was which was kind of in the middle of all that. I was, actually was like right in the transition point of all that it was kind of in the middle of
1: why'd you do that like why would you go to was it just because you were like i I want to add this to my music or i might want to move away from music someday into teaching
2: it was probably the latter okay yeah i think i was starting to think about if i was i mean like just to be totally honest i think just like the the worship pastor job Mm -hmm. of like preparing set lists and stuff like that i i'd been doing it at that point for you know 12, 13, 14 years or something like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, I know that I'm not. going to want to do more than this in the
1: future. Right. <clears throat> you just wanted to get some more credentials so that you could yeah, teach a bit more. And you have. I mean, it's kind of interesting how you have done that. Yeah. To some degree. Yeah. I mean, even though you're worship sure. pastor here, we're, I can already start seeing you getting involved in some of the stuff with your cohort and teaching around there. And you started to teach some of our systematic theology stuff, right? Yeah. Which when
2: I started Western, that was it was a bit of a theological awakening for me. Yeah. Like it's how I tend to think of it. Like, um, I mean, I I did my, my, actually my undergrad work at Liberty was in biblical studies. Hmm. Um, because like I would have told you at the time I want to do music, but I want to know.
1: Right. You want to be
2: a pastor. Right. Like I can, you know, do the music thing, but I want to have a good foundation to be able to be like a worship pastor. And, um, so I went through the undergrad there at Liberty, um, and, um, but when I started going to Western, I, so, uh, there's a guy named Gary Brashears who was a, he had a cohort there that I went through and he was kind of the theological mentor that could let that, right along with, a few, uh, several other guys. But that was when I, like, I just started to really, um, understand and read the Bible. I felt like for the first time, um, it, through my studying at Western, um, I really understood more of a kingdom theology. Yeah, um, uh, through the program there. Um, so we can just, we could deep dive into all that. So but what, I don't know how much time you want to spend on which. <laughs> I'd
0: right, talk to you again.
1: Um, would you say though, uh, Tim? Just reflecting, you've been you've kind of had a front row seat to a lot of the Christian music world. Yeah. Is it, is it theo- in need of theology? Do you feel confident that the people who are Writing a lot of music, or theologically astute, or would you say, uh, if I could give one thing to them, it maybe would be more theological ability, or or yeah, what, um, pretty
2: satisfied with. I mean, where where on this sure, kind of spectrum sure. would you put that? I mean, I, almost all the people that we've written with with Vertical Worship honestly have been fantastic. Yeah, um, I would. I would say, I see it more as in some ways like. I wouldn't even, like, narrow it down to just music. I would say, like, the American Evangelical Church, um, like, uh, would benefit from just, like, greater theological depth. And I, I think the attractional thing that we've been doing for the last 25,
1: 30 years. Describe that to me. What do you mean, attractional? Um, I mean, like, the platform-based ministry. So, um, the the guy or woman yeah. who stands in front of everybody. Yeah. And whether through their musical ability or their speaking like, ability,
2: we're just going to come and hear a great sermon and hear great music. Yeah. And um
1: and we're going to do it so well that you're going to you're just going to keep coming.
2: I think what's missing, what I in my experience I've seen that's missing a lot is like what does it mean to actually be a follower after Jesus? Right. What does it mean to actually organize your life around the way of Jesus? Mm. Um and those are things that I just don't think have been on the forefront of our efforts mm. in the American church in the last, you know, I don't know, generalize about it, but right. you know, um your average churchgoer just I don't think really has had that experience.
1: Um so you came and worked for a mega church. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cuz you guys ended up coming back to yeah. Chicago. So you, you you were in Chicago didn't take you go back to, go back right. to Oregon again, and then... Oh, dude, it, Harvest
2: was, like, the last spot on Like, you ended
1: up coming back to Harvest.
2: Yeah. I, it was, like, I don't know how to tell you other than the Lord was, like, like, our prayer was, I mean, through the pandemic, you know, we were in a transition. And I was honestly, like, I have no idea where we're going to go. Like, I, I don't know, am I going to start a church somewhere? Am I going to, I mean, like, I just had no idea. Mm. And um. And uh, Andy Rosier reached out to us because of the song that we had released or whatever. And I went downstairs to Vanessa and I was like, you never believe who I just got off the phone with, Andy. And she goes, no. <laughs> 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 um, but as the Lord sometimes does, or at least in our lives, he has done it a couple of times where you find this like, you know, our prayer was, God, we'll go anywhere you want us to go if it's a place where you're moving. Like, what I don't want to do is just have a professional ministry job and just put out years doing that. Like, I really want... to make
1: a difference. You yeah, actually want to absolutely contribute to, to some, the furtherance of and something. And
2: somehow or another, God led us back here in that prayer. Yeah. And um, so here we are.
1: Well, dude, I, I, I speak for a lot of people when I say I'm thankful that God led you back here. You know, I've said this before to people, when you come to a new ministry like, like I have here, you look around and you, you try to figure out, okay, I mean, Lord, you got here way before I did. Um, clearly, Harvested had a lot of uh, profound ministry in its past, right? Yeah. But in this particular season, Absolutely. things were not going well. Yeah. So you're like, all right, Lord, who, who, have, who have you brought here? And there, there have been a few people that I've been like, wow, it's crazy that you're here <laughs> just because of the uh, commonality of vision or idea and stuff. And you and Vanessa certainly are two of those people. And so I'm thankful, but I know that a lot of people are thankful that you guys have been here, especially in this season of some of the transition-y stuff that's happened with with Vertical But that's really, but but the transitioning stuff that's happened to Verticals actually ended up. I mean, it's been a big moment this last week. You guys did a a worship, like a a legit worship album.
2: We recorded a live record last Thursday. Yeah. I'm still kind of coming down from it a little bit. It's just, yeah, it was incredible. Right. I I was just so grateful to the Lord for uh, all the yeses he gave us, the incredible team that he brought around the creative vision for the project. And I just, I really look forward to seeing how it turns out. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. Yeah.
1: It's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah.
2: Here. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, it's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, I can will... actually hear you. I know. Well, you have, you, <laughs> that is one thing I didn't ask you. You don't hear well or at all out of one ear. What uh, happened? Not very well. It's what g- happened? It's
2: getting worse. It's genetic. Are you,
1: are you like, uh, What's his name? Bailey from it the is. from the from the It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey doesn't Can hear he out of his hear? one ear. Oh, really?
2: I oh didn't my that. gosh! I have to go back and rewatch that movie now. I Sherry,
1: you're wait, sh- shaking your head. It's George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life.
2: But you don't. Uh, it's, you didn't save yeah, your, it's your little a, brother like, and so lose your hearing. <laughs> I should make up a story like that. It's yeah. not a lot better. Uh, my dad has it. My grandmother. My cousin. Like, it's just we have this genetic thing where. Um, My inner ear is fine, but it's the little chain of bones that goes from my inner ear to my eardrum Produce my body produces too much calcium there So that the sound waves don't Especially the low frequency sound waves don't come into my inner ear like they should so I have low end hearing loss about 40% the last time I uh, Checked it.
1: So if somebody talks really quiet or really low Yeah, you you can't
2: like there's like you and Carl like Yeah (laughs) It's just so it's just the right I'm, frequency. I'm a
1: round tip. <laughs> I say things like this.
2: So, but um, there is a there is like a corrective, you know, surgery that I can have for it. And apparently, in the last ten years, it's actually gotten pretty good. But oh, that's good. Yeah. So someday it'll probably happen.
1: Someday. Yeah. Do you know though that that hearing loss can be useful too? As my my uh, I have a friend who has uh, hearing aids, and he's frequently told me. I mean, he obviously would love to hear better, but he's told me. Sometimes it's helpful. You just turn him down. <laughs>
2: it is. And then people, people start talking I, to you and you just point to There, there is say, times, and my team that works with me, they know. Like, I just I just joke about it openly now because I just, mm-hmm. I'm deaf, you know. I, and um, they, but for a while, like, when people are getting to know me, like, they're like, oh, my gosh, is he a jerk? Like, he's talking he's <laughs> Yeah, just he doesn't even, totally he's not even, not even responding me. to me.
1: <laughs> I didn't even know you are there. Sorry, guys, I'm deaf. <laughs> Oh. Okay, <laughs> so th- this should be a note to everyone: if you talk to Tim Dalrymple after a service or around the town, that's and right. He, and I don't. You're respond. talking to him on his his left side. That's right. There's a good chance he's not here. There's a good chance. So
2: I'm, I'm just nodding politely. <laughs> <my life. laughs>
1: All right, good on you. Thank you so much for for being here. Uh, for the rest of you, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye, bye.